Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends, and then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, Zarin. Hey, Elizabeth Dutton. You know it's ridiculous? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I do. It's actually human arrogance. <laughs> like, no, I mean, for real. Like, you know, we always think, like, oh, we're so special. But it turns out, like, if you really look around and you investigate, like, animal research, you'll find that animals are just like us. Like, for instance, did you know that it's been noted in captivity that killer whales can learn to speak bottlenose dolphin? Really? Yeah. And not only that, sperm whales in the wild, like in the Caribbean, they speak with an accent that other whales can't detect. I was going to say, do they, when they speak dolphin, are they speaking in a heavy whale accent? <laughs> I wonder. But sperm whales speak with their own specific Caribbean like, accent. sperm whale patois. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I just would love to hear what that sounded like. And cats, you know, like we think like, oh, cats don't really like speak English. Like, I well, it turns out they do. They understand their name. They mm-hmm. just choose not to respond. They just ignore you when you say their name, but they do Oh, hear yeah, it. they know. And then also, like, for instance, cows, right? Mm-hmm. Cows, did you know that they love cool jazz? <laughs> yeah, cows, if you play cool jazz, they will produce 1.5 1. <laughs> 1. more pints of milk per day. For jazz? Yeah, for Yeah, well, for any, like, you know... Cool, calm music, smooth jazz, cool jazz, um, really calming music. Soft and warm. Yeah, the quiet storm. The quiet storm. (laughs) Wow. Right? So animals, they're just like us. And everybody always thinks that we're so special. Human arrogance. Yeah. Telling you ridiculous. Agreed. That is ridiculous. Do you know what else is ridiculous? Oh, you got one? Uh, Yeah. Throwing a bunch of gems on the ground, calling it a mother load. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like something one of my uncles would do. Probably.
is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free, and guess what? 100% ridiculous. Oh, you damn right. <laughs> I've talked about the California gold rush in the 1850s before mm-hmm. in my familiar. life, and also talking to you here. Mm-hmm. Um, Shanghai Kelly oh, yeah. and all that. Great episode. Totally. Really oh, yeah. Soapy went up to the Yukon, right? Yeah, and I've talked about the Yukon gold rush, mm-hmm. 1860s, Soapy Smith. Today, I have the story of a diamond rush, sort of. I didn't know there were such a thing as diamond rushes. It's the sort of. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, by the 1870s, right, the gold and silver rushes of 48 and 59, respectively, had petered out. Mm-hmm. In the late 1860s, diamonds were discovered in South Africa. Ah. And so optimistic prospectors started looking around North America, figuring, look, we got gold, we got silver, got We must diamonds. have diamonds. We're amazing. <laughs> so a few were actually found near Placerville, California, really? okay. in gold country. I know it well. There were a few verbal accounts from Western explorers, but no one found like a huge mine, a big load of them. Enter Philip Arnold. No, I don't really know about where you find diamonds, like in the what type of rock strata or like, you know, like, you know gold, you need certain granite qualities, right? You mm-hmm. need certain rock formations. With diamonds, do we even have the geology? Isn't there one where you look for quartz somewhere? Yeah, I thought that was with gold. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you Maybe want, it you is, look for sure. basically like streaks of quartz. Right, right, right. And that right. tells you the yeah. gold may be present. So I don't know diamonds. There's a distinct smell. I figure <laughs> it's an ore, right? You got to like break open the rock and see yeah. the diamonds inside. So yeah. how are you going to know? Anyway. I just wonder what they were looking for. You look for a K Jewelers sign <laughs> in the in the wild. Philip Arnold. Okay. <laughs> so he was born in Kentucky in 1829. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really matter when. Where. Oh, okay. But uh, as a young man, he dropped out of school and he wanted to apprentice as a hatter. Hmm. But he found that it didn't suit him. So what did he do? He ran away. He, I was going to say he became a cobbler. When you take a job and it's not a good fit, you just straight up run away. <laughs> you just abandon you everything. flee, arms a-flailing. So he lied about his age and enrolled in the Army, and he served in the Mexican War. Okay. There. 1848, we're up to? Mm-hmm. Okay. So he was out by 48, and after that he goes to California to work as a Gold Rush 49er. Wow, this guy's hitting all the big marks. Totally doesn't strike it rich. Uh, Runs away, arms flailing. <laughs> so he worked on all these... My mine. mama gave me that chain. <laughs> well, that's Sorry. gold. Um, he worked on various mining expeditions in the West for decades, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he did go back to Kentucky in 1855, and he got married. And then he went back again in 1862 to buy some property. He went back during the war? Suspe- I was going to say, suspicious timing. Yeah, He's like, say. this property going cheap. <laughs> I bet there's real cheap property in Kentucky right about now. Some well, colonels looking to sell. He's an opportunist. So he goes to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And there he meets another dude from Kentucky named Asbury Harpending. That's a hell of a Kentucky name. Right. He's one of California's foremost financiers. Oh, I bet. Asbury Harpending. Is it Harpending? Harpending? I can't ask him. He's dead. Yes. It's all of them. So in the mid-1860s, he goes to work for Harpending's Lincoln Gold Mine Company in Placer County, California. Yeah. So Placerville, Placer County. Mm-hmm. One of the board members is an associate of Harpending's, and he's a dude named George Roberts. Okay. Are you writing all of this down? Taking copious notes. Thank God, because I'm not. In a 2004 article in Smithsonian Magazine, which, by the way, is mm-hmm. amazing. 
Shout out Smithsonian Magazine. I love Smithsonian Magazine. I know a couple writers there. It's really good. It's amazing. Roberts, in the article, was described as, quote, the sort of businessman described in newspapers as prominent, but his was a prominence earned by moving fast and not asking too many questions. Ah, move fast, break stuff. (laughs) So by 1870, Arnold goes back to San Francisco. He's working at the Diamond Drill Company as an assistant bookkeeper. Okay. So he's mining adjacent, right? He's Mm -hmm. not actually out there in the field. James Cooper... Also worked at the Diamond Drill Company, and Arnold knew him from earlier prospecting days. So Cooper teaches Arnold about diamonds and gems. Okay. While they're so he's the, really the more the prospector. Yeah, and they're just, you know, they're working at the company together, yapping about diamonds. Now, it was allegedly Cooper who first brought up the idea of salting a piece of land with gems. Do you know what that means? I'm guessing. Yeah. (laughs) So you're going to pepper him around. You're going to salt it. (laughs) Sprinkle it. Sprinkle sprinkle me. Sprinkle me. He didn't, Cooper didn't participate in the impending hoax, but he's just like, you know, it'd be really cool, you guys. You know, it'd be super fun for us to do. Just get a bunch of... Salt the earth. (laughs) (laughs) Hannibal style. We do it with gems. (laughs) So there's this book called Diamonds in the Salt. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's written by Bruce Woodard. He said that Cooper also gave Arnold a starting collection of leftover gems from the shop. So he's leftover got gems. He's got little scrappins. <laughs> he's got scrabblins from the bottom of the bin. Like it's like, like how at like fried chicken places they sell popcorn chicken, mm-hmm. which is just the stuff that fell off the regular chicken in the fryer. That's Completely. my theory. Or like in a butcher shop where like the stuff that comes off the table gets turned into hot dogs. He's mm-hmm. like got the hot dogs of gems. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's like, I'll give you all these scrabblins mm-hmm. and um, enter John Slack, right? His names, John Slack, okay. Um, Cooper Slack and, okay, go on. Yeah, so one note to go back a little bit, that this dude, Arnold, he likely purchased some of the non-diamonds, mm-hmm. which would be like rubies, sapphires, etc., from Native Americans in Arizona. Okay, so yeah. they had more than like... Uh, I don't know. That's just supposition on people's part. Okay, okay. Yeah. I was wondering, like, do they have these emeralds down in the Southwest? I mean, I know they have, like, you know, quartzite. Well, and, well, not, uh, yeah, and I don't know. What if, like, Arkansas? There's a lot in Arkansas, There's right? a bunch, yeah. yeah. All those places where you have the caverns. Mm-hmm. John Slack. <laughs> John Slack. <laughs> Hit me with it. So Arnold needs help, so mm-hmm. he brings in his cousin, John okay. Slack. <laughs> Action Slack. Um he was nine years older. He's also from Kentucky, is his cousin, and he was also a minor 49er. Okay. So, be cool if he was nine years old, not nine years old. He brings in his nine year old cousin, cousin. <laughs> for his tiny fingers to be able to dig in the dirt. Um, He's the idea, man. <laughs> got Crayola drawings. Just. It's so good. The plan, how could it fail? <laughs> November 1870, Arnold and John Slack, mm-hmm. um, they go to George Roberts' office. The cousins are looking all weather beaten. And they say to him, hey, George, we got something really valuable. They're like, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it's too late in the day to go deposit whatever they have at Bank of California. So they're hoping that, hey, can you store this for us? We missed the, you know, bank is closed. And it's just like a bag. (laughs) Can you store this for us? Which, if anyone comes to you and says, can you hold this for me? No, the answer is no. Especially if it's dripping. Especially if it's dripping. Um, So they're like, well, we got some like rough diamonds, but we don't want to tell you where we got them. We just have a bag of rough diamonds. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Robert says, I'll store it for you. And they said, please don't tell 
anybody about this. So this is their plan. Get him to tell everyone. Exactly. They know that if you say don't tell anyone about this, this man's going to turn around and tell everybody. So what does he do? He turns around and he tells William Ralston, the founder of Bank of California. Oh, he goes right. Yeah. He's like, check it out, William. These dudes, these two ding-dongs came in, bag of diamonds. I'm holding on to it. We got fresh marks in town. Who else does he tell? Asbury Harpending. Oh, of course, Asbury. Yeah. So Ralston is one of the, like, richest guys in California. Hmm, okay. And he made his fortune mostly from, like, the silver bonanza in, in Nevada? Nevada's Comstock mm-hmm. load. Yeah. That was discovered in 1859, Sierra Nevada's. It's why Nevada's called the Silver State. Totally. Yep. That uh, Comstock load kicked off all the exploration for silver in Nevada, Utah. Mm-hmm. That cool, weird town of Tonopah, Nevada, exists because of the Comstock oh, load. Oh, interesting. A lot of the big names in the California gold rush had a piece of this action, too. Mm-hmm. They just switched over. Yeah. So Roberts brings in more interested parties. He's not supposed to be telling anyone. Mm-hmm. He tells all the big names. He tells William Lent and General George Dodge. Lent had been a major investor in the Comstock load. So this group comes together, and they want to buy the cousins out. So they're they're doing exactly what the cousins thought. Mm-hmm. We want to buy you out. They're like, no, no, sorry. These are our special loose diamonds. We're not going to tell you where we got them. Slack, John Slack, <laughs> he, he says, okay, I'll make you a deal. Give me $50,000 now. And then $50,000 when we come back to our, from our next visit to the quote-unquote field. Okay. So he's like, acts like he's doing this side deal. I want you to, please, I'm begging you to keep in mind that $50,000 then is like $1.2 million now. So, so he goes to them and says, give me one point two, cool, mm-hmm. and I'll come back to you after I've gone and checked the field and make sure there's more diamonds out there mm-hmm. and it's worth it. And this guy is like saying, yeah, because I get the inside angle, like I'm planning on buying this. What's yeah. in it for him? He's thinking that this, if they've located a place where there's all this these rough diamonds, they're going to be able to open a diamond mine. Okay. And they're thinking these guys are marks and they can basically mm-hmm. move over on them. They don't realize what they've had. Right, and, like, exactly. And these guys are playing dumb, so that way, okay, yeah. I'm with you. So July 1871, the Arnold and Slack, they decide to go to London to buy more uncut gems. Like London, London? London, London. So Arnold's calling himself (laughs) Ondo. They're taking steamships to go buy more. I love this. Yeah, (laughs) they like flap their wings. And then Slack uses his middle name, Bircham. Okay. So they use these aliases. They buy $20,000 worth of rough diamonds and rubies. Hmm. So they come back to California. They got 60 pounds. Pounds. <laughs> I like that they're measuring their gems in pounds. <laughs> like, it legitimately, they, I'm imagining they put them in a crate, like a, a chest. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a cartoon. You open it up and it's yeah. like, yeah. You know, although they're rough. So it's like rocks. Um, so they, they have the diamonds and the rubies, 60 pounds. They smuggle them back in. And then they show Roberts and they're like, look what we found in the field. 60 pounds. <laughs> so they said, okay, get, we're going to go back. We're going back to the field. And they told the businessman, we're going to bring you back a couple million dollars worth of stones. So if they're talking millions then, mm-hmm. think about the value now. That's where we are right now. Okay. So we have huge crates of stones that everyone thinks is getting pulled out of the earth somewhere in the West. Mm-hmm, somewhere in this field. An undisclosed location. When we come back from this break... I'm going to let you know how that delivery of precious stones went. Can 
I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60 day money back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine tingling shows on AE Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Hey. Hey. You still have all of our pants on. Nice. I still got all my teeth. <laughs> uh, when we left off, Arnold and Slack, remember mm-hmm. those two? Oh, Don't yeah. Slack. Slack. Uh, they'd promised George Roberts, a board member of Kentucky Creep Asbury Harp Endings, mm-hmm. Lincoln Gold Mining Company, Placer County, California. George Roberts, slippery businessman. No. So he says he's be, he'll be quiet about the gems, turns around, tells the president of the Bank of California, tells Asbury, Arnold and Slack. He basically goes back into the smoky dark room and says, hey, guys, I got a live one. Uh-huh. 
Well, they're all doing all sorts of other illicit deals yeah, and exactly. exploiting people. And they're like, oh, time out on this exploitation. We've got another one coming in. Arnold and Slack, uh, they go to a remote spot in southern Wyoming. Mm-hmm. What they've decided is the field. And that's where they salt the ground. So they have like, they're like flower girls at a wedding. Just tossing <laughs> like little... Like fabric petals all over the ground. They were wearing little pinafores and dre- it was wild. So little bonnet hats. Skipping along. Wyo history, like Wyoming abbreviated mm-hmm. Wyohistory.org. Quote Arnold and Slack had salted the Mesa, which straddles the Wyoming Colorado border, about forty-four miles south of Rock Springs, Wyoming territory, with low-grade diamonds and other gemstones. To this day, the Mesa is officially marked on U.S. Geological Survey topographic maps as Diamond Field. (laughs) I wonder if you could go out there and still find a loose rock. Maybe. I mean, if they spread them around wide enough. But yeah, so it's just, oh, Diamond Field. That's where the diamonds are. So Arnold chose the location because it was so remote and the weather was so bad. Oh, smart. No one's going to want to go out there. No one's going to pop in, yeah. you know, just like I was in the neighborhood. I just thought I'd check out Diamond Field. Just taking a walk and with my dogs. And oh, my, look what <laughs> oh, we found. dang. Kids, get a pail. <laughs> so they even so, right, they still don't want anyone tracking them. So they keep the trail hidden by wrapping the horse's hooves in canvas and they wore moccasins. Damn, that's going the extra mm-hmm. mile. They don't want anyone. I've never heard of anyone wrapping a horse's feet like that. I do it all the time. But that's just, it's, well, it's I impressive. I go to the store. I don't want anyone following me. That's commitment. Thank I'm... you. Thank you. So back in California, mm-hmm. um, Harpending, Asbury Harpending, he meets him at the train station when they come back. And he said, quote, both were travel-stained and weather-beaten men and had the general appearance of having gone through much hardship and privation. Slack was sound asleep, but Arnold sat grimly erect like a vigilant old soldier with a rifle by his side, also a bulky-looking buckskin package. Hmm. So they come back and they're like, and scene, like they're in character. <laughs> totally. Like, you know, they're just lounging in the train. They're like, oh, we're getting close to the station. Yeah. Rumple up. Give me some dirt off your boot. Slack does one, two, three, sleep, pretends. <laughs> so... In the package, in that bulky-looking buckskin package, large collection of diamonds. The cousins said they had originally had two bundles, but they lost the other one crossing a river. So it's like, you you think this is a lot? We had so much more, guys. So much more, but I tripped. So Way too many just to carry. I love how they're playing these guys. Oh, they're amazing. So the group of investors, they decide to get the diamonds inspected by a third party. Okay. And you think, uh-oh. They bring 10% of the gems that Arnold had given them to New York. And they they head over and talk to none other than Charles Tiffany. Damn. Founder of the eponymous Tiffany. Go right to the top. Mm-hmm. The New York meeting participants also included Civil War generals George McClellan and Benjamin Butler. The coward George McClellan? That's what he's doing? He got into the emerald business? Okay. So... Benjamin Butler, he's a U.S. representative from Massachusetts. He was recommended as someone who could help with issues regarding the land. <laughs> like, oh, I can grease those wheels. Um, and then Horace Greeley, oh, editor wow. of the Go New West, York young Tribune. Man. He was there, but who knows why? Well, you know, cronyism. He's he just, just liked to watch. Yeah, he yeah. Likes, so, um, liked to watch. Tiffany <laughs> appraises the stones. Corruption, it's my kink. <laughs> Tiffany appraises the stones at $150,000, which is $3.6 million today. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's that's a fair bit. 
And please remember, I'm begging you, please remember, these are just 10% of a collection that had been purchased in London for $20,000. Yeah, exactly. This is an incredible. It's quite the come up. So these yeah. New York jewelers that they're having, like, is there any way that they're in on this? No. They can't be. No, they okay. have no idea. They're just bad at their jobs. Completely. Okay, I'm with yeah. this. <laughs> so, and we're up to speed. Well, and they're rough, so it's not like, oh, I can tell that these were cut somewhere, whatever. So um, it was later revealed because Tiffany's expertise was in cut stones, uh-huh. not in uncut ones. But still, I mean, like if, I, like, if you're a farmer and you grow corn and I bring you baby corn and you're like, <laughs> oh, that looks just like <laughs> corn. I mean, like, you can't, you've got to be able to parse a couple of these things. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I don't know. But you know what? Act like you know. Yeah, exactly. That's what Tiffany's up in there acting like he knows. Mull through it. So the group values the most recent bounty brought in at $1.5 million and then officially forms the San Francisco and New York Mining and Commercial Company. Mm -hmm. When in doubt, form a company. Always. December 1871, Arnold goes back to London. He was like, come on, I need some more (laughs) good jobs, dude. He spends there between $8,000 and $35,000 on uncut gems. We know how this is going to go, right? I'm wondering, like, there's obviously no communication between London and New York. That's what's surprising me, is that they're not, like, they're going over there making a major purchase, and they don't, Mm -hmm. none of this is filtering back across the Atlantic as either from just gossip amongst the jewelers. Well, and they're using fake names. Well, still, though, a major purchase. I mean, (laughs) like, the jewelers, you'd think there'd be some... Like you know, price change. Like, oh, we got a big you know right. client. There's this whale in London constantly mm-hmm. buying up jewels. Why don't they come to New York? Who are they? Yeah. Whatever. Good questions. And if they're Americans going to London, the the, the Brits would know. This Maybe is, they used fake accents. That would be amazing. Pip, pip, you have any diamonds and stuff? Well, they go and they're like, oh, <laughs> I am from France. Fancy a cuppa? And then people try and speak French to him, and they oh, <laughs> 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 um. Okay, so they start this company. Mm -hmm. Legal paperwork's in place. They decide to take their first visit to the diamond field. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, they got it. You've now created this diamond field. So they hire a well-respected mining engineer named Henry Jannon Mm -hmm. to come along for the ride. Hop in, Henry. Jannon, total pro. Total gemologist. Yeah. He had inspected hundreds of mines. Really conservative in his assessments as well. So is he the, like Hearst or like the color talks to him? <laughs> no, I think he's like science guy. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. okay. And because he'd done all these conservative assessments, so the owners would wind up getting way more than they thought out of all of these mines. Oh, damn. Okay. So it's like a good guy to come in. Mm-hmm. He's not going to overstate it. He's basically internationally known for being the final boss of mine inspections. Yes. So this is the They bring day. in the final boss level guy. Mm-hmm. This is good. Spring of 1872, Arnold... John Slack, Harpending, Asbury, uh, Jannon, a General Dodge, and then a British acquaintance of Harpending's named Alfred Rubery. <laughs> they get together in St. Louis and they head on a train to Wyoming. Now, fun fact Asbury and Rubery, they first met in the United States during the Civil War. Both were sympathetic to the South. They outfitted a schooner in San Francisco Harbor to plunder ships for the cause of Confederacy. <laughs> However, <laughs> that went over well. I bet those San Francisco whalers and gold ships are just like, oh, yeah, yeah okay. come with it. So, well, they could both get arrested and convicted of treason. I was going to say, that yeah. did not last long. Harpending did 10 years. Well, he was sentenced to 10 years in Alcatraz. Damn. 
And after four months, he was released, though. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Because Lincoln granted amnesty to all political prisoners who would agree Mm. to take and keep the oath of allegiance. Yeah, yeah. So Rubery was also sentenced to 10 years, also pardoned. So So he gets by on the whole malice towards none. Uh Uh-huh. So here we have, this is who we're dealing with here. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Arnold and Slack, they're about to head this group up to the spot where they say that they've just been picking gems (laughs) willy-nilly. They purposefully take the group on this super roundabout path to the field, trying to confuse them about the exact location. Finally, on June 4th, after four long days on horseback, they arrive. The group, they begin digging. They find gems almost immediately. Well, because, yeah, they're (laughs) just like everywhere. Harpending, Asbury Harpending later writes, quote, I had not been on the ground three minutes before I found a large diamond. (laughs) (laughs) I got off my horse. I stepped on a diamond. That day, we got over 500 (laughs) diamonds, rubies, sapphires, and emeralds. Arnold would generally tell me where the best places were to dig for the gems. He's like, like, yeah, dig over there. Yeah, he's like, oh, look, there's something. You see the flash? It's like an Easter egg hunt where it's right in front of the cage. You're like, I don't know. Look under that room. (laughs) (laughs) So over the next few days, the group continues to look successfully surprised for gems. Janin, don't forget, final boss is there. Mm-hmm. He surveyed 3,000 acres, although the salted area was only like an acre. So he he surveys it. They head back to San Francisco. They left Slack and Rubery to guard the grounds. Hmm. Right. Unknown reasons. Who knows? Those two, they bail out after a few days, the ones guarding it. Slack, he had been paid his 100,000. Mm-hmm. Remember the 50 and then yeah. the 50? He was never seen by the group again. <laughs> so smart. He's like, I think I've gotten as much as I can out yeah, of this. I've milked all that I can. I'm going to tap out now. <laughs> Thank you so much. Before the law shows up yeah. at the door. <laughs> so Janin, though, he submits a report of his findings to the group. He estimates the value of the company's stock at around $40 a share and the property at least $4 million. Damn. Right. So as part of his deal... Janin, who just assessed the value of the stock, he purchases a thousand shares at ten dollars each. He's saying that the shares are forty, but they're going to let him buy a thousand at ten. Yeah, so this is his like payback from the group. It's yeah. like he gets in on the ground and then floor. he sells them. He later sells them. He gets around thirty grand and becomes the only non-swindler <laughs> to profit from this scam. Oh, well, I'm glad the honest man right. made an honest profit. Everyone was sure that this diamond field was legit. Mm-hmm. We know better, Aaron. Oh, do we ever? Yeah. So let's listen to some ads. Oh, I not? love ads. Just hear them out, okay? Just listen to them. And when we get back, I'm going to tell you what happened when it's discovered that a gem-rich field in the middle of nowhere is, in fact, too legit to quit. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. 
In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello. Hey, I'm back. Hey, where was I? Ah, yes. The (laughs) French. (laughs) Ah, yes. Okay, so it was decided, Mm -hmm. based on an assessment by legendary mining engineer Henry Jannon, that the field was indeed swollen with gems. Yes. Just like a tick. And everything was on the up and up. 
how, I mean, I was just kind of surprised Janin went for the, like, you know, if he knows this industry, he knows how rocks are. He knows, like, where you're going to find gem fields. When you go out and you find, like, diamonds three inches into the dirt <laughs> or maybe just sitting there lightly custed but covered with dust, you have to be like, this is not normal. This is not. We didn't have to, like, get out axes and cut yeah. into, yeah. Like, where's my rock hammer? What the? Yeah. Where where are the children I can send down this hole? <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Remember, Janin, he says the stock in the company is worth 40 a share. Mm -hmm. Then he buys it at 10. Arnold was paid $150,000 for his find. And then he also got $300,000 worth of stock, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Which he sold off. He sells it to Asbury. In all, he makes about $550,000. Take away the 35 or to 50 he spent on gems in London. So good scam. Good he scam. makes five hundred and fifty thousand dollars in eighteen seventy two. Is something like thirteen point three million dollars today. Damn, that's, that's like a good scam. Yeah, that's a solid scam. Yeah. By this point, the news of the find and Janin's report becomes public. Mm-hmm. No one knows where the land is still. And although many tried unsuccessfully to guess its location and send their own parties out there to look, <laughs> so people are sneaking around. In the fall of eighteen seventy two. Men from the San Francisco and New York Mining and Commercial Company and Janin, they made another trip to Wyoming to try and, like, secure the land, tie mm-hmm. up loose ends. And have they purchased this land yet? I don't think so. Okay, yeah. Um, Arnold decides not to join them. He's <laughs> like, you guys go ahead. Yeah, Come I got right a, my ankles. It's not He's already well. moved back to Kentucky at this point. <laughs> He's like, you know, I'm going home. On the train back to the Bay Area, Janin runs into two geologists. Samuel Emmons and James Gardner. Now, those two worked for Clarence King, a recognized geologist who some years before had persuaded the U.S. government to fund a survey of the land between the Rockies and the Sierras. Mm -hmm. So this guy, he's got the government looking at stuff. He and his team, including Emmons and Gardner, surveyed the 50 miles on either side of the 40th parallel. So they, they know this area they are, you know, they, they're like the final, final bosses. They're quite intimate. This is like mm-hmm. the back of their hand. So Emmons and Gardner, right, they suspect that Janin and his crew are coming from the mysterious gem field that everyone's been talking about. And they wondered if the field was near the land that they surveyed. So they asked the group, like, kind of, you know, innocent, mm-hmm. innocuous questions. So where are you coming from? <laughs> What'd you do there? What longitude and latitude are you guys coming from? What was the quality of the dirt where you were hanging out? <laughs> um, and they're able to figure out where the field is based on all their secret questions. So then they go back and they tell Clarence King, the geologist, final, final boss, mm-hmm. about this encounter they had on the train. King says, you know what? Let's go look for ourselves. I think I can find the land. <laughs> I want to corroborate Janin's findings. Just, you know, academic expertise. Well, this is a big discovery. And due so, diligence being yeah. what it is. But, I mean, if you think about it, this is a revolutionary thing. That there's this incredible, not just diamonds, but rubies and sapphires. Just sitting on the ground. Everything you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Just hang, He's like, I want to see this. And I'm no a Native population had noticed it in the thousands <laughs> of years that they had been there. No. But, you know, go but on. But, you know, as you do. So, the group sets out, right? They didn't tell anybody else about the real purpose of their trip. And instead, they were telling people that they were going to look for carboniferous fossils <laughs> instead of diamonds. Carboniferous They're fossils. They're kind of telling the it's truth. Just, yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those scientific non-lies. Yeah. So they get to Wyoming. They get off the train. They continued on for a few days. They find the site. Ooh. Zarin, I want you to close your eyes. 
I was wondering, my eyes are over here permanently open <laughs> and stuff. Okay, one second. My eyes are closed. I want you to picture it. Yes. The three geologists, Samuel Emmons, James Gardner, and their boss, Clarence King, stand in Rock Springs, Wyoming Territory. They've stepped off the train and have secured horses for their 40-odd-mile trip into the desolate distance. Oh, couple-day ride, okay. The sky is so incredibly vast above and before them. The hills are like a mustard-gold velvet, the shrubs and grasses all crisping in the fall air, just waiting for that cold bite of winter. The wind howls around them as they set off. Dust swirls. They consult the rough map they've drawn up of the approximate location of this so-called gem field. After a number of days, they locate the spot. They tie up their horses, they get out their equipment, they begin their search. This is a most American moment. People looking at a barren, deserted, or silently empty landscape before them, hoping beyond hope to find fortune where others would just walk on by. But these guys are part of a most modern American moment. (laughs) They are the cynics. They're the specialists who want information confirmed before they'll believe anything. And these are, unfortunately, the very rare Americans. (laughs) (laughs) My people, my people. (laughs) So one of the men stoops over, scraping away at this arid soil. He finds gems. (laughs) The other men dig. They find the same. Gems. (laughs) It seems to them that these came right from the ground beneath them, the product of wild Wyoming. They were thrilled. They were surprised. They logged their finds into the evening, then they bedded down for the night. I can only imagine that the sky above them, so clear on an autumn evening, was just thick with stars. The Milky Way tucking them in, the endless night full of diamonds reflecting back to the riches that slept underneath them in the dirt. Mm. However, (laughs) looking more carefully the next morning, they realize there's kind of a pattern to how these gems are distributed. (laughs) For example, this is my favorite King found a diamond, quote, perched precariously under a slender rock. <laughs> so he, like, tossed a diamond on the ground and then set a rock on top of it. Like, I'm imagining like it's a the, back porch key. Exactly. Like, you're trying to, like, catch a, a mouse with a diamond. You put a little rock lean to <laughs> yes, above it. Yes, yes. So they're like, how, how could this have been like this for hundreds, nay, thousands of years? Just a scientific mystery. Mm-hmm. And there also seemed to be sort of a uniform ratio of one diamond found with around a dozen rubies. Yes. Or also, what I imagine is that there is a pathway if you follow it, and they kind of are cast <laughs> from that pathway. On the sides. Um, they also found gems in anthills. Wait, what? But they were only in the anthills that had footprints or disturbed dirt near them. <laughs> <laughs> so the signs of old Johnny so Diamond seed? Yeah, it's like, oh, this just... dangerous. Well, first of all, why would there be in the middle of an anthill? Wouldn't they? The anthill is, is unearthed. It's dynamic. It's, they would yeah. move the earth around. Yeah. yeah, that's part of the earth they'd be kicking out anyway. Um, so the geologists, they go further afield. They dig holes where diamonds should be based mm-hmm. on what they've been seeing, but the earth is clearly undisturbed and they found no diamonds. Hmm. Hmm, that's Shocking. weird. So King concluded, quote, summing up the minerals, this rock has produced four distinct types of diamond, a few oriental rubies, garnets, spinels, sapphires, emeralds, and amethysts, an association of minerals of impossible occurrence in nature. <laughs> and some minerals that are only found in India, some <laughs> others only found in Iran. It's very curious. It is fascinating. So a few days into their work, a man on horseback approaches them. He introduces himself as J.F. Barry from New York City. 
He'd followed them there and been watching them. Creepy. Seriously. The whole time. He's like, <laughs> hiding behind <laughs> I like some watching men dig in the dirt. He's like, so he says like, hey, you guys found gems? <laughs> Creepy. One of them let slip that the site is a hoax. He's exhausted. He's like been digging in anthills. He's like, yeah, we found gems and it's all garbage. He's nursing his hand blisters. <laughs> so then, but then they're like, they get worried that the news is going to blow the whole thing wide open and put their colleagues at risk. So the geologists, they hightail it back to San Francisco so that they can tell the mining and commercial company what they've discovered, mm-hmm. warn them. November 10th, 1872, they arrive in San Francisco. Now, King, out of respect, first goes to Janin, not the company. I like that. Nice. Yeah. Go, yeah, in terms of, like, respect for your colleague, that's mm-hmm. dope. Because he knows this is going to ruin you, man. Yeah, like, man, you may want to go to India. <laughs> Look for the gems there. So Janin, at first, he stands by his findings. He's like, no, I, you know, this is, I know what I saw. So then they talk all night, and finally Janin accepts, like, he was duped. Yeah. That's got to be hard. Yeah. You know, uh, people get really tired. It's really hard for most people to admit mistakes or admit they don't know. Even. It's also really hard to use reason and rationality to correct emotion. Mm-hmm. Those are two different languages. Yeah. So you can't use one to usually correct the other. You can use belief to correct emotion, but you usually can't use fact to correct emotion. Right, so if he's right. committed himself to it, he will not be swayed. No. And I think that's like, that's a really hard moment. I could see how it takes all night to bring him to mm-hmm. that point. Um, so the next morning, King and Janin, they go to the mining and commercial company directors and they tell them, you have been victims of fraud. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. The directors asked King, the geologist, to take a few of them out there with Janin, go out to the field. They go. Now they're seeing it all with new eyes. They have all this new information. They're like, oh, my God, how do we not? This is totally a hoax. <laughs> As there's, like, one gem perched on top of, like. <laughs> Next to an Easter egg on- from a kid. <laughs> in, it's in a plastic <laughs> Easter, Easter egg. Like, how did this get out here? We don't have plastic yet. Um, <laughs> so the newly hired general manager of the company said he saw rubies scattered in such a way that, quote, it would have been impossible for nature to have deposited them as for a person standing in San Francisco to toss a marble in the air and have it fall on the Bunker Hill Monument. Okay. okay. Man knows a metaphor. Yeah, right. He's painting a beautiful picture. So the director's like, raise your hand if you want to dissolve the company. All the hands went up. <laughs> Some people raised two hands. <laughs> and a foot. So Arnold and Slack, they get indicted for fraud by a grand jury. Mm-hmm. Case never goes to trial. I'll say they're indicted in absentia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But they never went to trial. Okay. Arnold gets sued by William Lent. Remember, he was the big investor uh-huh. in the Comstock load. Yeah, the big money man. They settled out of court for one hundred and fifty thousand huh. dollars. Though he said um, he paid. Arnold says he paid not because he was guilty, but because the lawsuit was time consuming and he wanted to move on with his life. And he was tired of the Pinkertons harassing him. <laughs> He's like, "Here's your one fifty, boring." <laughs> I'm so over this. <laughs> this, is, this is annoying. I'm, frankly, I'm, I'm on to greener pastures, you guys. Back in Kentucky, Arnold had bought a house, obviously from the money he made in the hoax. Mm -hmm. The house had marble fireplaces. It had really crazy chandeliers, high ceilings, beautiful wallpapers. Always very nice. Good touch. To this day, there are locals who are convinced that there are still diamonds buried in the basement of the house. (laughs) Such a typical local lore. (laughs) Exactly. You know, there are kids who, like, stare from the bushes at the... He also bought 500 acres in his wife's name where he bred thoroughbred horses and he raised sheep. There's the real wealth in this story. Mm -hmm. We know about the horse trade there. 
He invested in real estate, became a banker. Mm -hmm. He became what he was trying to take down. Um, In the spring of 1878, he was in dispute with another banker. That banker had insulted Arnold in a letter, doubting his trustworthiness because of the possible involvement in the diamond hoax. There was a shootout, and Arnold was hit in the shoulder. It did not kill him, but in the winter of 1879, he caught pneumonia, and he died in the hospital on February 8th. Whew. So was that like a Kentucky, like, colonel duel? Like where they I go, think so. In my honor, sir. <laughs> sir, I write in a letter, sir, you insulted me, yeah, and I think you're a fraud. And Drop you sm- a white glove in front of him. And you smell like dookie. And he's like, well, I never. And then <laughs> pistols at dawn. <laughs> so what about Slack? What about John Slack? Um, after abandoning his duty guarding the field, Slack went to St. Louis. He worked. What would you do? If you had the money that he had, you bailed out on guarding the supposed diamond field, you go to St. Louis, what would you do? Hmm. Go to St. Louis, late 1800s, buy a stockyard? He worked as a carpenter at a coffin company. (laughs) What? Not in my top 100 choices. (laughs) And then he eventually Ooh. became president there. He worked his way up. He worked his way up to president. He did. I'm not kidding. <laughs> then he goes to New Mexico, and the job he had in New Mexico was adjacent. He became an undertaker. Oh, he didn't get into the topaz business? No, he became an undertaker. He died in 1896 at the age of 76. Hmm. So Look at him. Arnold pretty much pulled it off. Slack would have too, but he cut and ran mm-hmm. and wound up doing a lot of death work. <laughs> but he still had a little bit. That, Zarin, what is your ridiculous takeaway here? Oh, man. Um, one, that rich people are easy to scam, especially if you can tell them that you're dumb. You know, like, <laughs> I just don't know these things, but a big, strong, strapping gentleman such as yourself, you probably could. You know, like, you play that up, but, like, in terms of finances, mm-hmm. I think they're going to go They're gonna go for it. And this apparently has been true for eons. I oh, mean, yeah. you can, this goes back, you know, this is exactly the thing uh, that we saw in the dot-com boom. This was a thing that you see in real estate scams. This is a thing you saw in LA, the Owens Valley River. I mean, like, mm-hmm. everywhere you go, mm-hmm. you will see this, like, somebody comes along and acts like, I just don't know what to do. And then they scam these rich people who are so certain. So usually, yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the traditional act of the confidence artist. They work on your confidence. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It's, it's a flawless scheme. I'm just so surprised that these people who, you know, they know money, they know wealth, but they don't know anything about jewels or gems and they don't like stop to think. So I'm just struck by how many times they had to go out there with experts before they could actually see the truth because they were so convinced by what they wanted to believe. But they so, think they're pulling a scam too. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Like so they're just... like, oh, we're getting one over on them. So they're so busy thinking about yeah. the scam that they don't actually check their own beliefs. Their yeah. scam is based on a faulty belief, but they're so busy looking at the greed that they don't <laughs> check that. I'm yeah. like, that's the part that's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm like, come on now. How did you get wealthy? Right. <laughs> well, I said it earlier about that being the most American moment. Mm -hmm. You know, when Americans are at their best, at their most sort of Whitman-esque, they see possibility everywhere. Yeah. They're expansive in thought. They're curious, adventurous. Innovative, inventive. Yeah. yeah, They don't get sidetracked by the, like, base animal tribalism of wanting to just be with people that look and think and sound and believe like they do, right? Or do things in the old way, yeah. Yeah, they're open, they're eager, Life is vast, it's exciting, it's full of possibility. That's the America, that's the dream America. Mm-hmm. The sort of, that's America the fiction. America we can be proud of, <laughs> that's yes. the fiction. So in this story, we have like the sad underbelly of that moment. That's the one driven by greed. 
I, I like Arnold and Slack, right? <laughs> so they use the big wigs greed against them. Uh-huh. The bank owners, the mining magnets, they're so eager to get money off the backs of individual miners. Yeah, the exploiters, basically. Yeah, they, just like they'd been doing, it's what made them so unbelievably wealthy. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it is so hard to comprehend how much money these guys got. All the, like, the the big four, all the railroad barons, everything. Yeah, the how land much barons, money the they were barons, getting. Yeah. Like, you talked about that with old Billy Miner, the train robber, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the fat cats, in this case, they didn't think critically, like you said. They yep. never asked. They thought greedily. And then they acted in haste because they're so quick to take advantage of Arnold and Slack. And they're so used to exploiting people. And they see someone and they go to a quick read. And it's like, oh, we yeah. can exploit this person. Yeah. Well, it's surprise. Like, yeah. <laughs> so once again, I'm not being too critical of the criminals here mm-hmm. at all. No one was hurt or killed. Yeah. Are my favorite. They just lighten the pockets of some fat cats. <laughs> and then the cool scientists crack the case. That's what I love. How great is I that? I love that they got out there and actually like go, hey, let's just go walk this and see what it, we find. Yeah. And I think those are like the true winners here. Yeah, exactly. Even that they walked away with no money. They won. They beat the, They beat everything. That's it. That's I like all that I have. One. That's a good one. Thank you. Uh, you can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter and Instagram. Got a tip for us about a ridiculous crime you want to hear about? Email us, ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. That's it. Tune in next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by Chairman of the Big Board, Dave Couston. Research is by seasoned gemologist, Marissa Brown. The theme song is by Minor 49er Thomas Lee and wizened saloon keeper Travis Dutton. Executive producers are skeptical appraisers Ben Bolin and Noel Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one listen to a really good cry with radhi devlukia on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts